Our sermon text this evening is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Hear again the word of God Almighty. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. My aim this evening is to help you to be more thankful. No doubt for many of you, you will give thanks when the sermon is over. In which case, mission accomplished, I guess. When we look at verse 18 of this passage, we see that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In verse 21, we find two particular evils which render men without excuse in the face of God's wrath. Number one, they did not glorify God. And number two, they were not thankful. Our focus this evening will be on that second term in verse 21, thankful. Except we will translate it as give thanks. While my new King James Version translates it as thankful, um, other versions such as the English Standard Version, the New International Version, New American Standard, and the Living Bible translate it as give thanks. We will take it as give thanks and for two reasons. First of all, Both of those words, glorified and thankful, are in fact verbs in the original. So literally the word is give thanks, nor did they give thanks. They refer to actions, specifically actions that man failed to perform. A second reason that we will use the word give thanks rather than the adjective thankful is that the adjective thankful means simply filled with gratitude, to be filled with thanks. It is often used in our age with reference to feelings of gratitude. As we shall discover, what God requires of us includes feelings, of course, but actually goes beyond mere feelings of gratitude, in fact, to actions of giving thanks. So in the next several minutes, we will consider what giving thanks is, why we must give thanks, and how we can give thanks. 
We will define giving thanks in this way. Giving thanks to God is praising God for his goodness. Praising God for his goodness. Now, by praise, we mean the ordinary sense of the word praise, glorifying, exalting, extolling, lifting up, magnifying. All of those words are good ways to express it. It is the ordinary sense of the word praise. And this is a similarity between thanksgiving and all other worshiping and glorifying and honoring of God. All of them involve some sense of praise. The difference with thanksgiving or giving thanks is that it is specifically praise to God for his goodness. God's goodness refers to his love, his benevolence, his mercy, his kindness. It refers not necessarily to to God's moral uprightness, but rather to God's benefit to his creatures. God has a good character. He is good, and he does good to all his creatures. So, giving thanks is praising God for his goodness. Psalm 106, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. You see in that passage an encapsulation of this definition. It helps us to understand giving thanks to God if we consider for a moment giving thanks generally. Giving thanks generally involves at least two parties. That is a benefactor and a beneficiary. A benefactor is one who does something good for you. The beneficiary is one who receives something good. Now, ordinarily, a benefactor does some good thing or gives some benefit to the beneficiary, some favor, some kindness. And the beneficiary, the one receiving that good thing, recognizes it and sees that it is a good thing, sees the goodness of the gift and is impressed with the benefactor's goodwill towards him. He sees in the giver a kindness, a goodwill towards him because of the good gift that he gave him. The receiver then, the the beneficiary, is moved to goodwill in his own heart. Goodwill towards the one who gave him the good gift. This is sometimes called love. And he then senses within his own heart an obligation, a debt. And he desires of his own will to render thanks. And if possible, repay his benefactor. This is, in a nutshell, what it is to give thanks. Having received something good, you want to return and even give back to the one who gave to you. Now, among men, this process of giving and returning favors creates a sort of perpetual mutual obligation. And this is what Romans chapter 13, verse 8, talks about with the debt of love. Owe no man anything except the debt of love. You see, if if another man, if an equal of yours gives you a good gift, you can return to him in a little bit more, and then he can return to you in a little bit more, and you never outlive this gift of love. But you see, it is a mutually beneficial arrangement that God has made so that mankind can continually bless and help one another 
from this motive of gratitude. This debt that I referenced is not a legal debt. It's not a legal debt, but we'll call it a moral debt in which the recipient of good is motivated from his own heart, from his own will to do good to the one who did good to him. And you can see among men, again, in this way, both parties benefit, each one giving and receiving. This works very well, especially amongst equals who can regularly give and repay each other and bless each other. This becomes more difficult, though, in certain kinds of relationships. Think, for instance, of a young child and his parents. How can a young child repay his parents for their kindness to him? It's really, as while the child is young anyways, it really is not possible. What the child can do, however, is honor his father and mother. And this, by the way, is part of the basis of the fifth commandment. Children receiving goodness and kindness from their parents owe them a debt of gratitude which they pay by means of honor. Now, bringing it back to giving thanks to God, we realize immediately that in seeking to repay God, we run into several problems. First of all, the benefits which we receive from God are always far greater than anything which we could give back to him. He has given us life and many good things. What would we give in return for that? Secondly, God himself doesn't actually need anything from us. God is eternal. He is independent. He is self-sufficient. He owns all things because he made all things. Therefore, he doesn't need anything from us. Moreover, what might it be that we would give to God that does not already belong to him? So anything that we offer to God is already his. Therefore, we are not actually doing him any kind of favor or kindness, are we? Psalm 116 verses 12 through 14 expresses this dilemma. The psalmist says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? That's the same problem we're wrestling with right now. Now hear the answer. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. Did you catch that? The psalmist will render thanks to the Lord by praising him for his goodness, by receiving the good thing that the Lord gives him and by praising him for it. Do you see, we give thanks to God not by paying him back so much as by confessing the debt, by acknowledging that it exists. We see this a little bit with the 10 lepers in Luke 17 that we read. All of these 10 men received goodness from God. All of them, we read it, <clears throat> as they went on their way, they were healed. But one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned. And with a loud voice, he glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. We see then that giving thanks means this, praising God for his goodness to us. Let's consider some reasons why we must give thanks to God. 
First of all, we must give thanks to God because he requires it. In our passage, we see that the wrath of God is revealed against men who fail to give him thanks. The wrath of God is simply the righteousness of God directed at evil. It follows, then, that the righteousness of God requires men give him thanks. Otherwise, why the wrath? So, God requires men to give him thanks because his righteous standard says, when you receive a favor, when someone is good to you, you return thanks. You honor those who bless you. God blesses you, therefore you honor him. Psalm 136, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Do you see the reason for the command? Give thanks to the Lord. Why? He's good. His mercy endures forever. Now, since the righteousness of God requires men to give him thanks, and since God loves righteousness and hates evil, it follows that he is pleased when men give him thanks, and he is displeased when they fail to give him thanks. Thanks. We saw this, too, in the example of the lepers. Jesus was pleased with the one who came back, wasn't he? But rather displeased with the nine who did not. God takes notice of and is displeased with those who refuse to thank him. To the one who came back, Jesus said, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And being displeased with the rest, he said, Where are the nine Jesus notices ingratitude. Now, we see the judgment of God against those who did not give him thanks. And especially in verses 21 through 24, we see several things. You see, God's wrath, his displeasure against the unrighteousness of men who did not give him thanks is shown by several judicial punishments by which man descends from a state of blessedness into condemnation. And the first of those is futility in verse 21. This futility means that man's mind, his way of thinking, does not work as it ought. His thinking becomes vain, empty, useless. From there, in verse 21, his heart becomes darkened. So too, that means his will and affections no longer work as they ought. This descends even farther into an arrogant folly in verse 22 as man becomes foolish. And that's not just ordinary folly, but it's an arrogant folly. Notice this in verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. It seems like the more foolish we get, the wiser we think we are. And that's... One of the consequences, one of the punishments against mankind for not giving thanks to God is a descent into this arrogant folly. That arrogant folly then leads to another problem here in verse 23, which is idolatry, the worshiping of other gods. There's an exchange that takes place. You know, sometimes it's interesting to notice this, but man's problem is not with gratitude per se. Man's problem is with God. Do you know that the heathen's They thank their gods for the things that they enjoy. The Romans would thank Jupiter when they won a battle. You see, they weren't having a problem with gratitude. 
they had a problem with God. And so the judgment of God is against those who fail to give him thanks. Another reason that we must give thanks to God is because we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for. Let us begin with, we owe our very existence to God. Psalm 100, verses 3 and 4. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Part of the reason why God requires children to honor their parents is that the children, earthly speaking, owe their existence to their parents. That is why we honor those who are older than us and generations who precede us. But all humanity, in fact, all creatures, owe their very existence to God. And thus God says, if I am a father, where is my honor? We owe God thanks for what we will call temporal mercies. And by temporal, I mean things that God gives us for our life here on earth, under the sun, for things in this time. Things that pertain to your earthly life. Speaking of life, he gives you life and breath. He preserves that life. He has, on countless occasions, delivered you from dangers, perhaps even death. Some of them you're aware of. Do you ever consider there may be occasions on which you were very near to death and God delivered you and you're not even aware, you don't even know? If you've ever followed a toddler around for a day, you would like to tell it, do you realize, boy, how many times you could have been killed today? Well, perhaps that is a little bit what it's like for us. There are probably countless deliverances in which God has kept us safe. We can thank God for our health. We are quick to ask God and complain to God when our health is poor. And, and by the way, that's appropriate. But are we as quick to praise him for when we are healthy? I have 200 and some bones in my body and I break one and, and I complain about it, but I don't thank God for all the others that are not broken, do I? Or all but the times we've been healed or recovered from a sickness. How about friends, acquaintances, close confidants, spouses and children, grandchildren for some of you, even great-grandchildren, Houses, places to live, food and drink. How about all of the things that we enjoy? The changing of the leaves. Some people like fresh cut grass. Some people like the smell of coffee. Think of all of these things that God gives for your pleasure and enjoyment. And you'll have different things that are your comforts and your pleasures. But God gives them to you. These are temporal mercies. These are things for your life here on earth. We could continue with the relative peace that we enjoy and the safety that we enjoy. And I will not continue. We'll move from the temporal mercies to spiritual mercies. And by spiritual mercies, I'm talking about things pertaining to your everlasting salvation. I'm talking about things like the grace of election, God choosing you from the mass of fallen humanity talking about your calling, the outward calling in which you heard the gospel and the inward calling in which God made you able to believe it to the saving of your soul. Talking about your justification, 
when all of your sins were forgiven, laid upon Jesus Christ, and you were given his righteousness, and you were granted a right to eternal life. Talking about your adoption, when God made you his own child and gave you a right to all the benefits of a son of God. Talking about sanctification, in which God purges sins from you and and grows you in holiness and conforms you back to his image. What about assurance? You know, we could have all of these benefits of salvation and yet not have assurance of God's love for us. But if you have assurance of God's love for you, that's a spiritual mercy for which you should give thanks. By the way, if you don't have assurance, you should seek it. After assurance, we can think about perseverance. God has set us in the way, and God keeps us in the way. If we were left to ourselves, you know we would veer off the path. But God preserves us. If you've been a Christian many years, you know it is the hand of God, your Father, who has kept you there. And it is he who will keep you till the end. That is a spiritual mercy. We can continue with victory over our enemies, such as sin and death and the grave and the devil everlasting life and glory and honor in the presence of God and the angels in heaven forever and ever these are spiritual mercies but of course we must consider the fountain of these mercies Jesus Christ whom God sent for you hear this from 1st John chapter 4 verse 9 in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Do you see? That's the goodness of God. God's love to you being shown in the sending of his son. And of course, God sent not only his son, but he has sent God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ said, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. I want you to consider this, beloved, that apart from the work of God, the Holy Spirit, all of these other benefits which we've just spoken of, without his work of applying them to you, they would be untouchable, unreachable for you. They would not benefit you one whit apart from God sending the Holy Spirit to apply these things to you and seal them in you. To all of these spiritual blessings, you may add the external and outward means by which God works them. Think about the church, the means of grace in the church, ministers and elders, deacons, all of these things that God has established to present to you his gospel, to help you in your Christian life. Think of the communion of the saints. Think of your fellowship with other Christians and the sweetness of that fellowship. Think of, for instance, the meal you just enjoyed and and the fellowship around those tables with your fellow Christians. These are gifts from God. Each of us have a share in gifts, in the gifts and graces of one another. And this is by God's design. Another reason that we must give thanks to God is that as Christians, we are especially obligated I'm sure you observe in this passage that in verse 19 it says, what may be known of God is manifest. And in verse 20 it said, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen and understood. 
And then men are without excuse, it says, because although they knew God, they did not give him thanks. What I want you to gather from this is that knowledge increases obligation, right? God is just in pouring out his wrath on men who do not give him thanks because they know him. They know his goodness. But as Christians, we have more knowledge of God than anyone in the world. We have greater knowledge of God's goodness. Jesus said this. He said, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Therefore, we have a greater obligation to give thanks. Not only that, but we Christians have received greater benefits. All of those spiritual mercies we just talked about. Jesus said, to whom much is given from him, much will be required. We must give thanks because as Christians, we are in fact best suited for this task. You know that saints, God's people, are described as God's temple. Can you think of a better place for God to be thanked than inside his temple? Beloved, we are the temple of God, and his praises should ring forth in us and among us. Indeed, you know that in Proverbs it says that even the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. You see, God delights in the prayers of the upright. God delights in the prayers of his people. If God so delights in our prayers, let us delight in praising him, knowing that he takes that with delight. So it is clear we have many reasons to give thanks. Let's look for a moment at how we can give thanks to God. In order to give thanks aright, there are two things we must have. One is the right attitude followed by the right actions. Now by attitude, I mean the the feelings and motions in our heart, okay? And in order to have the right attitude towards God, we must develop humility. You see, pride stops the current of gratitude. It stops thankfulness. And it does it for several reasons, but here's one. Pride regards that goodness, those mercies received from God, as if we had gained them by our own strength or by our own goodness or wisdom or by our own industry. I, I, I obtained this. We should rather be like Mephibosheth. Do you remember Mephibosheth? who sat at David's table, and he said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Now, this is a man speaking to another man. We ought to have that mindset of ourselves to God. What is your servant? What are we, who am I, that you would give this to me? You see, we must humble ourselves. By the way, that is how Job was able to praise God and give thanks to him in the worst of circumstances. Here, let me show you in Job chapter 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you see what Job, remember at the beginning of the book of Job, Job had all those things, but Job understood. He came into the world naked. He's going to leave the world naked. Every good thing he had, God had given him as undeserved favors. And God could take any of it away at any time he wanted without doing any injustice to Job. Therefore, Job 
having nothing of that left, could still thank the Lord and bless his name. You see, he was humble before God and therefore he could be thankful to God. The Puritan Thomas Watson said this, a Christian should keep two books with him always. One, to write his sins, that he may be humble. The other, to write his mercies, that he may be kept thankful. It does help to remember that when God gives us good things, we are sinners after all. God is kind even to those who break his laws. And you know, God promises to forget our sins. Not just forget, but forget. Let us resolve to remember his mercies. It is good for us to take an inventory of God's goodness to us. When you consider God's blessings to you, I want you to realize that every favor, every good thing that you receive, from the littlest thing to the biggest thing, is a token of God's love for you. That is him showing his goodness to you. And it, it cannot just be general and abstract, right? It cannot just be that God is the maker of the world. It must be God is the maker of me. It cannot just be that Jesus Christ is the savior of the church, It must be Jesus Christ is the Savior of me. You see, God's goodness to you. Recognizing God's goodwill towards you is a necessary condition of you having goodwill towards him, right? Realizing his love for you is actually required for you to love him because God first loves us. And it is from that recognition of his love to you and the growth of your love for him in your heart that empowers you to give thanks as you ought. So that's the attitude towards God is humble, grateful, aware of his love for you. Now by actions, I mean things like our words and our thoughts and our deeds. Of course, our words include things like prayer and Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You know, we present our requests to God by prayer, and that is good. But let us not forget to do it with thanksgiving. You see, you can praise, that is to say, give God thanks for his goodness in prayer, as well as you can ask things of him. Our words also include singing. By the way, lovely singing this evening. Your words to God when it's a heart filled with gratitude and praising God by faith in Jesus Christ, that is thanksgiving. That is giving thanks, praising God for his goodness. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 says this. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Singing involves both your words and your thoughts. Making melody where? In your heart. See, this is giving thanks in your heart, and then that thanks is expressed with your mouth. 
And of course, our deeds express our thanks. Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see that when you are grateful to God, you can praise his goodness by whatever you do. Your gratitude, your your giving thanks begins to color everything that you do. So that whether you are in church worshiping the Lord or you are driving to work or you are changing a diaper or whatever it is you find yourself doing, when you do it with the motive of giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ, you are praising God's goodness and giving thanks. Finally, let us observe in in order to better be thankful, in order to better give thanks to God, let's observe the pattern of Jesus Christ. Do you know that in the Gospels there are a number of records of Christ himself giving thanks to God? The Gospels record him giving thanks for spiritual mercies, such as revealing himself. In Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, Father, I thank thee that you have revealed yourself to babes and withheld from the wise. Jesus thanked God for hearing his prayers. Father, I thank you that you hear me. That's in John eleven forty one. Jesus gave thanks for temporal mercies. When he broke bread and fed the 5,000, he thanked God for that bread. Do you know that Jesus even gave thanks when he gave the cup of his blood the cup of the new covenant, which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Beloved, if our Savior could give thanks in the offering of his blood, then surely we who have been delivered from the wrath of God can find ways to give thanks in everything. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do thank you and praise you. Never as well as we should, but, oh God, in sincerity and by faith, we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.